Welcome podcast fans. I'm Fran McGarry, host of First Online with Fran. My aim is to offer listeners an opportunity to open their minds, their hearts, their hands, and consider how together we can make our world a richer, deeper, kinder place to live. I just finished reading Rabbi Sharon Brous's New York Times op-ed piece. It's called Two Lessons from an Ancient Text That Changed My Life. And she wrote about how we cannot magically fix one another's broken hearts, but we can find each other in our most vulnerable moments and wrap each other up in a circle of care. We can humbly promise each other I can't take your pain away, but I can promise you, you won't have to hold it alone. That really struck me. My guest today, Janet Michko, is the Artistic Director of the Public Theater in Lewiston, Maine. And we're going to talk about the aftermath of the gun shooting and how she helped her community to heal. Welcome, Janet. Hi, Fran. <laughs> you know, Wow, what a circle. What I not know. only it's such an honor to have my former high school theater student on the <laughs> show. How delicious is that? But you know, whenever I make these connections with former students, it's always a reminder for me of the palpable impact of educational theater and how how it does open hearts and minds and encourages curiosity. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. Just, to, <laughs> just I'm interested in finding out, you know, since that 17-year-old that I knew, <laughs> how has the arc of your career as a graduate of Carnegie Mellon to now artistic director of this fabulous theater, how has it guided your path as an artist? And how has it served as a fortress during and after the gun shooting in, in your small community? Well, that's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, I have to practice not saying Mrs. McGarry. I'm, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm grown up now, so I get to call you Fran. That's, you can. You know, Absolutely. Which is act actually really awesome. My journey with theater is, you know, some of that, which you probably know, I mean, I did it because I loved it. And I did it because of the sense of community that I got from it. Even in high school, our drama club, there are people I still keep in touch with. And I think that is so amazing about the arts is the way that we actually make deep connections with each other because we show our hearts in our work. You know, and for me as an artist, I've always tried to lead from that place. I've always tried to lead from my heart. And when you make art from that place, I think it resonates with other people's hearts. And you find out like, oh, who do I resonate with? And who do I not resonate with? But I think it's that possibility that we open ourselves up to when we make theater from a heart-centered place. I, when I went to school, I, it was again, the sense of community that I found with my classmates at college. And then I still am friends with these people because we know each other way too well. We're bonded for life, <laughs> whether we want to be or not. Yeah. So I don't. I, I mean, I've always been somebody who I looked at theater as. I don't mean to, you know, simplify it this way, but it's kind of a spiritual path for me. 
It's a practice of keeping my heart open, of being present, of listening and talking in a way that can influence people in a positive way. I feel it's a service to serve a playwright, to serve a cast. And so, and now I'm an artistic director and I feel I serve my company, I serve my community, um, I serve the playwrights, and I'm just sort of a, a vessel. I, I'm a vessel ultimately for love and connection, simply said. And you know, I, the kind of plays we like to do are heart-centered plays. And even if we take somebody on a journey, my feeling of responsibility to somebody I tell a story to and I invite on this journey is I have to leave them with hope. Even if I take them on a hard journey, I have to leave them with hope because I don't wanna to go to theater and be beaten down and leave feeling hopeless. I feel the theater has the power to transform us. And it's my personal, like why I do it and my taste, my sensibility. Because my creativity, my theater saved me in many ways. It really opened me up as a human being. I got recognized for things I didn't know I was capable of doing. And I feel, you know, like I teach still occasionally, and I feel that responsibility to pass that along. You know, teachers changed my life, Brand. They really did. And you were one of them, seriously. Thank yeah, you. Which that. is so exciting to see because you know why? Because my teachers were people who were passionate about what they did. And they did it from their hearts and they did it from a genuine place of they're not, not something they should do, but something they want to do. I like what you said about how theater rescued me during the course of, of my life, and I'm sure everybody, you have high points and low points. And during those low points, and I've had quite a few of them, I always am able to rebound because theater gave me a core that has stayed with me throughout my entire life. And if anybody told me at this stage of my life, after being a scholar and a teacher and, you know, working as an arts administrator and doing conferences, I'm like, oh, that, you know, that's my, that's my path. And then, you know, the position was cut and it's like, all right, now what the hell am I going to do? I auditioned for an off-Broadway production and Within 10 years, I got my SAG, my equity card, and it's just like that rescue idea is really resonates with me because theater taught me that I can always grow. I can always take risks. And as an actor, I find joy in that. It's joyful. People are like, oh, my God. You know, when I say, oh, I got an audition, they're like, well, did you get it? It's really Getting it is the, is nice, you know, booking it is always nice, but it's the joy of taking something and giving it voice and giving it body and, and taking it and sharing it because it is a community. As artistic mm -hmm. director, how do you foster that kind of hope, that kind of community? I think I, I would like to believe I attract people who are heart-centered individuals to work with. I create a sense of safety in the room, empowerment, and we are in service of the text. 
I pick plays that I think are going to take us on a journey that we all want to go on, that we're all going to leave a little bit better, that we're going to get to share with our audience, and we're all going to leave the experience a little bit better than when we came. That's my hope. How do you find the plays? What does that process involve? You know, I see a lot of theater. I come back to New York as often as I can. I have a lot of playwright friends or friends of friends or people who go, who pass me scripts. I work with a couple of agents. I go through American Theater Magazine every season and I go, I don't know that play. That sounds, what's that title about? And I look them up. It is really like a, a treasure hunt. And then I read them and I see how I feel. I'm going to start picking the season soon. I'm reading plays now. It really comes down to, did this play move me? It's actually a visceral experience. I think, I think when we first started here, there was a, you know, like, oh, there's a formula. I should pick a murder mystery. I should pick a this, I should pick a that. And to a certain degree, I do believe I have a responsibility to serve a well-balanced meal. Play for every kind of person to stretch some people. You know, the people who like the comedies get a little bit of a thoughtful play and they didn't expect that, but they go, oh, that's not so bad <laughs> and vice versa. But I think whenever I've tried to pick a play because I thought it was the right play to pick, I have not enjoyed that experience. And it taught me to listen to my own heart, which I think is in pretty good alignment with our community. My feeling is, would I want to see this play? That's what I fundamentally go, would I want to see this play? And I'm pretty middle of the road taste in that I, I like theater that comes at me and moves me and does something to me. I still go to the theater to be inspired. I would not call you ordinary. Some of the plays that you picked, which I admire, is that you don't always do the, what we used to call in the business, the chestnuts, you know, because that's, mm -hmm you said it's your bread and butter it's what you know what keeps things alive and you know get the the regular folk into the theater but your your last play was pretty impactful and I think how it not complimented so much but it spoke to what had happened in your small community and I'm talking of course about paint night yeah that was a little blessing that happened uh, in a strange way because the parallels within that play were very odd. <laughs> the, the synchronicity. It's mother, mothers and daughters, it's six women in a paint night studio and they're all going through various, it's like a mosaic. Everybody's got a piece of the puzzle they wanna talk about in their lives. And the mother is missing a son at the moment. Near the end of the play, they're waiting on news the, about this missing son. And this moment in the play is actually why I chose the play because when I read it, I found it incredibly powerful, which is the mother is waiting on news of is her son alive or dead? And all of the women on stage come to her and they hold her hand and they make the playwright, Carrie Krim, who's wonderful. She calls it a chain of hearts. And her daughter comes who she's been con in conflict with for the whole play and her daughter comes to her side and holds her hand while she's on the phone waiting. And then her best friend holds her daughter's hand. And then the best friend's daughter holds her hand. And then, you know, it, and, and everybody's holding hands and holding breath. And they're supporting each other in this incredible moment. She gets the news and they all take it together. 
and they all support each other in the way that you talked about in that article. And the most interesting thing was in our community, right? So here we are in our community, we've been in lockdown for two days. We're all isolated. We're trying to decide, do we, when we go out of lockdown, should we open the theater? We lost two shows. Then it becomes a question of, do we still gather? And we couldn't even gather to discuss if we gathered because we were still in lockdown with that. So we're texting each other. Our whole staff is texting each other. If they change the lockdown, what do we do? And that went on for like an hour and a half. And it was this crazy moment of our community was so isolated from each other and terrifying. Like it's the first time in my life that I've lived in Maine and I have a barn in my backyard. And I was kind of like, oh, I'm a little scared. I'm in the house by myself tonight. I'm a little nervous. And I know that everybody was feeling that way in our community. Our entire community is waiting of news of, did we find him? Did we find him? What's happening? Or is he dead? Are we safe? And it was this really crazy moment. So in this play, there's this line that happens earlier in the play where there's a character who turns to the woman who's waiting on the news of her son. And she says, how do you do it? How do you do this? I, I can't live with this level of uncertainty. And the woman says, well, you know, it's just what you do and all of this stuff. And in the moment when they're all waiting on the phone and they're holding hands and they get the news and then they end up embracing each other and crying together and they have this huge emotional release together, the both mothers hug each other and she turns to her and she says, this is how we do it. And that became my motto for the show because it was so clear that hug that those two characters have on stage together in the midst of all this uncertainty, this is how we do it. And it was so incredibly powerful to watch the audience. It was so cathartic for our audience to go on this ride of waiting for news. And also the man who did the shooting was found by the river and the character was there's a body by the river. <laughs> it was just the weirdest thing. And then to find out, is he alive or is he dead? And the entire audience was holding their breath, waiting for that news. And then the release came of the news itself. And it was a collective sigh and tears. And when the characters got relief and they cried, the audience just burst into tears. And it was kind of amazing because we've all been holding our breath for two days and we got to release our breath together in the same room. That's so beautiful. It was amazing. It really was amazing. And I, I, I told the story because I gave the pre-show speech about why we did the show. How did you make that decision heard of the shooting? I immediately tried to get in touch with you and I was holding my breath until <laughs> I heard from you. When I did the restaurant where the shooting took place was a block away from your theater and it just so happened that that night was a dark night you didn't have a show that night I mean talk about synchronicity and and blessings right yeah I mean it wasn't quite a block but it was close it, it's within a mile of the theater and one of my actors was downtown having dinner and got put into lockdown they moved everybody to the bathroom and I had another new staff member in another restaurant and they went into lockdown because when this happened, you know, SWAT teams came in 
And the first thing that, that when I heard this, because a friend of mine from New York called me and said, I hear there's a shooting going on in your town. I was like, excuse me, because I literally just got home. You didn't even know. No, the news hadn't quite broken. And he his roommate was news person from CBS who was literally on his way up. They were sending him up. Oh my God. And I didn't know. And so the first thing I did was call my actors. I think it's the mom and me, you know, it's like, I was like, where's everybody's everybody okay? And they knew at that point that there was a shooting going on and they were like, Susan's in a restaurant. She texted us. She's okay. She's in lockdown. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> you know, I was like, have her text me the minute she gets in. And then I called my staff to make sure everybody knew that this was going on and they were safe or they weren't heading in that direction. It was, uh, it was crazy. It was just, you know, I thought we dealt with everything we we were going to deal with with COVID. I thought, how could it be worse? <laughs> you know? Like, how could those decisions be harder than they were with like, do you stay open for COVID? You know, in that moment when everybody shut down, our whole staff was just like, I can't believe we have to make these decisions again for the safety of people. You know, can we gather? Is it safe? Can we get a security guard? Should we gather if they haven't found his body? It was... It was amazing. And, but, you know, when I finally, when we finally made the decision to open and we gave people the option of like, if you're not ready to come back, that's okay. We'll refund your ticket because what are we going to do? <laughs> we have to be human beings in moments like this. But I talked about how in moments in the theater, when something is happening on stage, there's all this scientific stuff about how our hearts go into clearance with each other. And we actually start to breathe together at certain moments in the theater. It's like, it's a scientific fact about heart coherence. Yeah. Tell me more about that. I, I never heard of that. Heart coherence. Heart coherence. Yeah. Tell Where me more. our beats, our hearts actually start to sync with each other. At certain moments in the theater, our hearts are actually going into coherence with each other. And we start breathing together. We start, our hearts start going into coherence and we started breathing together. And that was what, that was part of the story that I told in my pre-show speech was, you know, we came, we wanted to come together to let our hearts come back together and to breathe together again. What was the um, reaction of the cast? They were scared. They were a little scared and they asked for security. They were amazing. I call them emotional rock stars. <laughs> The show itself is very emotionally demanding of the journey they have to take. And that means their hearts have to be open. And they were scared. When this came down, they all gathered in one bedroom and they were like on the floor, under the windows. They were scared, you know, and they were being really tough, but they were scared and they knew they had to go on stage and open their hearts again. And they'd all been kind of traumatized. You know, I'm so incredibly grateful. They were, they're an amazing group of women. So glad that I got to watch it. Thank you for sharing that. They made a true company and they supported each other on and off that stage, which was amazing. And I think it actually showed in their work. They became friends. Like in that same thing we talked about at the very beginning, what happens when you're doing a show and you open your heart and you make a family. That was the final uh, week of the mm -hmm. show that it was running, what happens during the course, you become a family, you know, you yeah. connect in ways. That's what makes being an actor such a wonderful experience because it's not just being able to share this with the audience and open your heart 
and have that heart coherence. I love that. But the last weekend of the show, I mean, you're you're basically, you know, trading pantyhose at that stage, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was concerned, you know, when it gets to that close, you know, you all go out together, you know, you share time. It was close. And first thing that I came to my mind, it's like, oh my God, it's in a restaurant. Where do you think the cast and crew is going to be? You know, the yeah. last weekend of the show, they're going to be together having dinner, having drinks, you know, getting ready to say goodbye and move on to the next show. How how did they do it? I don't know. They just dug really deep and they trusted each other. That's how they did it. They did that, you know, this is how we do it moment. They just leaned on each other. They didn't repress their vulnerability. You know, they came to me honestly and they said, we're going to do it. We know we need to do it. We know we're under contract. We, we even have to do it, but we're scared. We've been traumatized. We're tender. Our hearts are a little tender. And I said, I will do my best to take care of you and make you feel as safe as possible. And so that they could be free to open their hearts and take our audience on the journey that they took them on. What was it like that evening when the audience started to walk in. What was that like? We were nervous. I think the audience was a little nervous too. You know, even though he was dead, everybody was shaken. And that feeling of safety, you know, like, am I safe in the world? That's a really fundamental thing in a human being. And to have that shaken is not something that you can just, you know, throw back together immediately. Our community was shaken. We're a small group of, you know, we're, I think like Lewiston and Auburn together, it's like 60,000 people. It's six degrees of separation. Everybody knew if you didn't know somebody who was involved in the shooting or in the building at the time, you knew somebody who knew somebody. And when those stories started to come out, that was horrible. I knew two people who were in the bowling alley and I, I don't even, I don't even know how they do this now, move forward. I mean, they, they have, it's horrible. It's just horrible. When you're, when your safety is shaken, your foundation is shaken. And how do you put that back together? And there's been a lot of support and there are a lot of, there is a lot of support in our community still, but grief, fear, those are funny things. People, you know, I, I, that's why I love that article so much that you sent me, you know, those really uncomfortable feelings that we have it sometimes feels like they have an expiration date on them because <laughs> yeah. people yeah. go, I'm willing to go there with you for like a week. Yeah. Right. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't ask me to like, I can't listen to this anymore. This is too hard. So I felt like the people who were comfortable enough to come back to the theater got something that helped them move forward and helped them express something that maybe they didn't even know they were feeling was some of the audience feedback that you got? You know, it was great. And I mean, I, I cried, you know, when they hit that moment in the play, it moved me every night and it moved me really deeply with that audience in there. People came out and they reconnected with their fear, that moment when you're waiting, that moment of disconnection, and that also that moment of relief of reconnection. Oh, yeah. Yes. You know, and that was really, really powerful. And, you know, I, I mean, sometimes I couldn't quite speak at the end. It would just, my heart would be rocking a little bit because the vibration in the theater was big. 
you could just feel it. You could feel it in the air. You know, even people who, you know, oh, I don't cry at the theater. <laughs> <laughs> that main ethic, right? <laughs> I think it was really hard not to be moved by that experience. Those palpable feelings when there is a unified connection between the cast and the play and the message and the audience and all of that. And one of the wonderful qualities about this play in particular is the humor. And I still giggle. It's one line and it I just giggle out loud when she talks about her Fitbit and to get in <laughs> to get in her steps, she puts it on the dog. <laughs> just, just yeah. I don't know why, but it's that release talking about her son who now wants to be called, you know, Michelle and the mentally ill adult and all of the issues. That was the other thing that this play did. There were so many political issues that were dealt with in a funny way, mm -hmm. not making mm -hmm. fun of it, making it normal. This is our humanity. You know, I, going back to, you know, I can't heal you, but I can hold your hand. Yes, absolutely. And I think Carrie, Carrie Krim, the playwright, I just adore her. I think she's a wonderful playwright. And she understands how to use humor. She uses humor to open your heart. And then she slips a little something in there. And it goes down really easily. And it doesn't feel like you're being preached to or lectured to. You just laugh and you think while you're swallowing. <laughs> you know, you just and not that it's it's a laughing matter, but what was the aftermath? Like how could your community not necessarily laugh about the the horror that struck your little village, but also how we could talk about that time and place and be able to laugh. Yeah, I don't have, the thing is that everybody's experience is different. You know, the people who were actually there or had family members or were working in the hospital are having a different experience than someone who knew someone. Yeah. And I think it's really hard to know what the universal fix, if you will, is because healing is such an individual process. I just think there has to be space created for it. Then if people need it, they have it. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I, a lot of other communities, unfortunately, have been struck by horrible things that have happened to them. I do think the community came together in a way to support each other. That was on a lot of levels. The business community came together, you know, to support businesses hurt during that time and closed down. People came together. A lot of things were done for families. But then it, again, it becomes about like, well, what does the family want? What does the family need? I don't think there's one answer for that. I think healing is such a personal individual thing. What would you like people to know in terms of gun control or what is happening in your community politically? How have your political leaders taken a baton and right. move forward with that? Well, I think it's really interesting. Um, Jared, who is in the second district here, he was very anti-gun control. And after this event, he changed his mind. He changed his opinion. 
And he came out, I have to say in a way that I have tremendous respect for, he wrote a really interesting letter to his constituents because he has a military background. He's trained how to use a gun. He owns a gun. Uh, after uh, January 6th, he was endangered, felt endangered, and you know, and he carried it with him. He talked about in this letter how when he walks into a store because of his military background, he would look at exits hey, and entrances. Hey, yeah. yeah. He would think about that. And he thought about to protect his family, what would he do? And then when this happened, knowing everything that he knows about how to use all of the weapons that are out there, he realized that he would not stand a chance in this situation if he was in that pool hall or in in the uh, the bowling alley, that everything that he knows, even if he was carrying a gun, he would not have stood a chance against that weapon. And he came forward and he said that and he admitted that. And I thought that was, you know, so great when people take responsibility and say, you know, I'm wrong. I really thought about this and I need to change my mind. And that's what makes all the difference. I want to thank you. But before we go, how are you moving forward as the artistic director? Where are you taking your community? I think I'm just trying to listen to my community. I think I am trying to lighten the hearts of my community. And I, and I don't mean just by doing comedies, but by making their hearts beat a little bit brighter, a little bit louder, with a little bit more joy, hopefully. That's what I'm trying to do. Oh, I'm not gonna say anything else after that. Janet, wow. What a wonderful opportunity to connect with you and to hear that grown-up, beautiful voice. Thank you. I know. I'm all grown up now, Fran. <laughs> <laughs> what a treat. What a treat to see you again. It is. Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by March Hare Media and recorded at We Chief Studio Productions. <laughs>